Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Four Persons Network. We are Blog Talk Radio's one and only authentic Catholic defenders of the deeper truths of our sacred faith. To learn more about what we do, go to our show page at thefourpersons.com and our blog site at thefourpersons.net. If you would like to call in tonight with your comment or question, the number is 515-602-9655. That number again is 515-602-9655. For follow-up information after the show, email us anytime at email at thefourpersons.com. That's email at thefourpersons.com. Now sit back and enjoy the show. Well, hello everybody and welcome to Wednesday night. This would normally be the night of Catholicism Rocks. To be honest with you, I haven't heard back from any of the Catholicism Rocks guys lately, but they have a really busy schedule. But we had a great show anyway. We had a very special guest, one of my personal favorite apologists. Let me welcome him on the show right now. Mike Aquilina, how are you doing this evening? I do I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me on. Well, we're we're really honored to have you on. Um I have read a ton of books in the last three years, a ton of Catholic books. Yours is one of the ones that's a little bit different because I took a year to read it because that's oh, the way that wow. you wrote it. <laughs> Uh, I'm referring to a year with the uh, with the angels. I'm glad that I took the full year and did it one uh, one day at a time because I think I digested it a lot better that way. Have you have you found the feedback on on this book to be that way? Well, yeah, I think that's the way most people use it since it is it is broken down into into readings where where. Um, where you could just do one a day. There are 365 readings. All of them come from the great writers of the early church, the the teachers we call the church fathers, and uh, and all of them are focused on the reality of angels. So they talk about what angels are, who they are, how they figure in the scriptures, how they figure in the scripture of Catholic devote the um, the tradition of Catholic devotion down down the centuries. So all of that is in there, and it's in the words of the early Christians, so we can see how the early Christians lived with the angels, how they interpreted what they found in sacred scripture, because there's an awful lot about angels in the sacred scripture. And and then, uh, you know, we can learn from that, and we can we can apply it to our own lives. Right. Now, Mike, a lot of the uh, early church fathers, I did notice that, that you uh, went to over and over again in the book. Uh, I noticed that you also wrote a year with the church fathers, which I'm going to try to tackle next. Is uh, I'll, I, I assume that I'll run into the same uh, the same people, or or is there a few others that I'll run into into that, into that book as well? Well, you run into some of the same people. Uh, there were certain church fathers who did focus more on angels. Saint Augustine comes to mind. He wrote he wrote a lot. Period, and he wrote a lot about angels within that great, uh, you know, uh, that great body of, uh, of of books that he that he produced in his lifetime. Um, so Saint Augustine is one. 
Saint Dennis the Areopagite wrote wrote uh, a lot about angels. So those two in particular stand out as um, as people who who would appear in a book that's that's focused on the angels. Now in a book that just draws from the church fathers in general, you'll have an uh, you'll have a lot more options because you can mm-hmm. you can draw from the from more of the fathers who wrote on a, a wide variety of subjects anything goes in a book like that so um so you'll you'll meet a wider variety of of authors in in that particular book right i assume i'm going to run into people like justin martyr polycarp uh, arrhenius yeah. uh people like that right that's right so, that's me... right you know there are about 150 uh teachers we we recognize as church fathers and uh and we set them aside as uh, as having special authority in in our sacred tradition um that we we say that they 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 demonstrate four qualities one is is right doctrine orthodoxy right doctrine they you, they can be trusted to teach the truth of the faith the second one is um is sanctity holiness that most of them are saints, are recognized as saints, and uh, and mm-hmm. and so we we recognize that their lives are worthy of imitation. Uh, the third quality is church approval. They have been cited as authorities in the catechisms or by the popes or uh, or in some other way. Uh, the church has recognized them as as having authoritative doctrine. And then finally, antiquity. They're from the early days of the church. So um so the church fathers are about you know we we usually number about 150 in that in that group of of the fathers and they're the ones who adhere to those qualities. Now Mike I noticed that the church likes to uh, within the church fathers the church likes to make a little subgroup that they call the early church fathers and what what is the cutoff of that is that like 4th century ish yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, what, what the the ones we we identify as early church fathers are usually those who wrote before the Council of Nicaea. It's kind of an arbitrary date, but you know, it it it, it also corresponds to uh, the time when the church was first legal legalized uh, in the empire. So, so I guess there was a certain uh, change in the way we. Um, we we conducted ourselves uh, at that time. We were able to do so above ground. We didn't have to meet in secret and that kind of thing. We didn't have to worry about persecution anymore. And so so that that's kind of a dividing line. It's a it's a helpful dividing line. So the early church fathers are the ones who are before Nicaea, uh, and Nicaea took place in 325. They're sometimes called the anti-Nicene fathers, uh, which just means before Nice Nicaea. <laughs> So it doesn't mean that they're against Nicaea. <laughs> That's right. It's A-N-T-E, which means before <laughs> okay. in Latin, right? Okay. So our very special guest tonight is Mike Aquilina. If you'd like to call in and be on the show, the number is 515-602-9655. Again, that number is 515-602-9655. So, Mike, getting back to the subject of angels, uh, I know that um, – Sometimes Catholics tend to forget angels, they especially their guardian angel. So we're we're told to pray to the saints and to the angels. What are some of the ways that the angels maybe assist us in a different way than the saints? Are are there are there any specific differences? 
Well, uh, you know, we, we know because Jesus told us that each and every one of us has a guardian angel. You know, he, he, he speaks about this in St. Matthew's Gospel where he says that even children, even children who, who really had no rights in that world had guardian angels who, who glorified God the Father and yet, you know, kept watch over these little children. Well, from the time of our conception, we have a child, we have a we have a guardian angel with us, assigned to us to take care of us. And we can see that uh often in both the Old Testament and the New. Um uh we often see the the angels uh there to fortify the prophets and the angels are there to help Israel as they conquered cities in the case of of um of of the patriarch Jacob in the, the case of the patriarch Joshua, the angels were fighting alongside the Israelites, and they were they were um, they, they they helped them achieve victory. So the angels are there all through uh, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. In, in the the Acts of the Apostles, we learned that um, that Peter was was uh, was locked away in prison. This happened to him twice. He was locked away in prison, and he was freed by his guardian angel. The angel just mm-hmm. went in and knocked the chains off him. One time he's even wearing double chains. The angel knocks the chains off him, and he's able to just walk out of the prison, walk past the people who are standing there. The angel even makes sure that he puts on a coat before he goes outside in the cold night air. So there's this, <laughs> this, this maternal care that the, uh, the angel exercises toward Peter. And when Peter goes to the house church, right, and he, he's, uh, he, he wants to let them know that he's out of jail, and he knocks on the door, right, and this young woman named Rhoda answers the door, and she can't believe it's Peter out there because Peter's in jail, and he's going to die. We all know that. Right. How could Peter be standing at the door? So she, she doesn't even let him in. She goes into the house, and she says, Peter's out there. And you remember what they said? They said, it can't be Peter. It must be his angel. So they would have a hard time believing, the first Christians. They would have had a hard time believing that Peter was standing there at the door. But they would not have been surprised to find his angel there. That's how strong their belief in the angels was and the care of the angels. And as I said, that's demonstrated all through the Old Testament and the New Testament. You know, the prophet Isaiah gets his vocation from God and he says, Woe is me! For I am a man of unclean lips. He's, he's not ready for this. He knows that he is not worthy of the assignment that God is giving him, and he can't follow through on it because he does not have the appropriate dispositions. But because right. he calls out for God, an angel is sent to him and puts a coal on his, on his mouth and, and purifies him with the coal. Now, the later fathers of the church said that that coal is representative of the Holy Eucharist, or that coal is representative of the seal of confession. Um, in any event, the angel's ministry prepares the prophet Isaiah. And it's like, it's like the angel just flipped a switch, because as soon as that happens... Isaiah, the man who had been cowering on the floor, you know, you know, weeping in a puddle just a minute before, now says, here I am, send me. He gets this confidence through the ministry of angels. You find the same thing in the book of the prophet Zechariah, where Ze- Zechariah has this angel guide who's taking him through all of these spiritual realities. He refers to him as the angel who talked with me, which is a beautiful name. Because it implies a kind of back and forth. Uh, it implies the kind of action 
that we continue today in our tradition um, and we call Catholic devotion to the holy angels. So this is going on all through both the Old Testament and the New Testament. We find uh, a concern about the care that the angels have for us and 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 kind of a a guide to to having that back and forth with them, you know, speaking with them and being attentive mm-hmm. to their promptings. Mike, something that um is a little confusing to me that I'm trying to understand these things um, uh, that the church teaches. So uh, I understand that church teaches, and, and uh, I've, you know, I've prayed the, the chaplet of St. Michael, that there are nine classes or choirs of angels, and they are uh, seraphim, cherubim, thrones, dominions, virtues, powers, archangels, principalities, and angels. And this is according to catholic.org, and that's how they're they're ranked here's where i get confused my understanding is that or was that michael gabriel and raphael are three of the top seven that are right there in front of the throne of god mm-hmm. but this would seem to indicate that archangels are are in a in a lower ranking among the nine can you yes i think i can um the um Everyone seems to agree that these nine classes of spiritual beings appear in sacred scripture. Those, all of those names that you gave of the different classes of spiritual beings are names that we draw from sacred scripture. They're mentioned in different places. You know, Some places will mention the seraphim, some the cherubim, the thrones, the dominions, and the angels and the archangels. Um, uh, there, there is no Catholic doctrine um, about the arrangement of of those of those of those classes of angels, uh, greatest to least, that kind of thing. We do try to to um, to to figure that out based on on the way they appear in sacred scripture. We we it seems to us that the cherubim are the ones who who bear up Almighty God. Um, the uh, the seraphim are those who gaze upon him, you know, who who are closest to him that in that way. So we 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 kind of draw out that information, and various saints have have speculated about the order of the angels in heaven. Um, but as as far as I know, there is no authoritative statement on what that order is. As a matter of fact, some of the saints disagree with others of the saints about what that order should be. Uh, I so. Um, so so um what we do know is that this this problem has fascinated people since before Christianity. We we find uh, in the the works um of the the Dead Sea Scrolls there's speculation about the orders of spiritual beings and how they might shake out and what kind of hierarchy they might appear they they might appear. And one of the earliest of the church fathers, Ignatius of Antioch, who was writing around 107 AD, says that it was expected of a of a bishop in his time again 107 AD that the bishop should be able to explain the different classes of spiritual beings should be able to explain the orders of the angels this was just expected of a bishop in that time so it's right. um it's uh it's it's uh it, it it's it's interesting that this has been an activity of so many saints down through the years, um, but it, I don't think it's something that the church tatively on. I got you. So is, is there a difference 
between, say, the class of angels. I'll just give a couple of examples. The class of angels that appeared to the shepherds on that Christmas night or the class of angels that, like, ministered to Jesus in, in Gethsemane or at, or at the end of uh, his time in the desert. Would, would those be two different classes of angels? Well, the, the, the sacred scriptures do seem to make a distinction between angels and archangels. And so the word arch just means leading or leader or king, right? Um, so so this, these would be angels who are rulers uh, over other angels, presumably, right? Um, and and the, the scriptures even name three of those. They name Michael, uh, Gabriel, and Raphael. Uh, so... So it seems that at the beginning of St. Luke's Gospel, it's the angel, it's the archangel Gabriel uh, who, who comes to Mary, uh, and it's, it's, it may be the same angel who speaks to St. Joseph in St. Matthew's Gospel. But the, the, the archangel Gabriel went to, to Mary and to Zechariah at the beginning of St. Luke's Gospel, and it's, it's assumed that, that he's an archangel because that's how he was introduced when he appears in the Old Testament in uh, the book of the mm-hmm. prophet Daniel. Right, Daniel chapter 9. Right. right. So that would be the distinction, would be the archangels are those angels who are created for a particularly momentous mission. All right, so, so, uh, so Gabriel would be there to announce the Messiah, uh, to talk about the good news that, that, um, that, that this was the fullness of time. Michael is there because he is going to, to be the protector of, of, of God's chosen people from the beginning of time. Michael was chosen as the protector of God's um, from the first moment of creation, it seems. And he continued in that role through all the history of Israel and then through all the history of the church. Um, so, so you have these, these angels designated for particularly important missions. And, and those are archangels, leading angels, ruler angels. Gotcha. So, going back to um, going back to the archangels and the seven, do we have any reputable source or any kind of confidence on the names of the other four? Well, there's been a lot of speculation, and there are names that appear in some of the rabbinic literature, the literature of the rabbis from ancient times, and there are church fathers who speculate about other names. Um, St. Gregory the Great seemed to be pretty sure that, that, um, that uh, there was that fourth archangel named Uriel, and so he's often numbered among the archangels, and sometimes you'll even see him depicted in stained glass. Um, but uh, but other than that, I really don't know too much that would be official, that would be authoritative. Um, it's all speculation. Right. So I want to talk about some of the uh, some of the early church fathers that you um, that you did bring up in uh, in the book. I'm, I'm familiar <laughs> with most of them. Okay. Um, one of one of them, though, Dionysus the Areopagite that you mentioned earlier. Um, I'm not familiar with any of his uh, of his writings. What can you tell me about him? Well, he's a kind of a shadowy figure. Um, the name comes from the Acts of the Apostles. Right? Uh, we're told when Paul went to Athens, he preached and and he didn't have much success there. 
you know, he tried to engage the people there by quoting their authors, their poets, engaging them philosophically. They seemed curious, especially when he talked about uh, the raising of the dead. Uh, but but the, but he didn't win many converts to the way. Uh, we 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 find in in that in in that that section of Acts of the Apostles that among the few con- converts was. Um, was was a man named Dionysius uh, who was of the Areopagus, and so so this person Dionysius the Areopagite has always been honored by the church, recognized because he was he he was the one who responded to the gospel first in the city of Athens, which is an important city in in that time, an important city in all the history of antiquity. So he becomes an important figure in the early church. We have a body of writings. Many of them focused on the roles and the powers and and the the attributes of angels, and that work is attributed to Dionysius the Areopagite. Um, Mm -hmm. A very small minority of scholars believe it actually was written by Dionysius the Areopagite. uh, most scholars think that it was written, uh, and then his name was applied to it as a as a pseudonym. The author, out of humility, did not want his name on the book, so he 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 published it under the name of Dionysius. Um, so either may be true. It may be that there was a tradition of wisdom about angels that was passed down from generation to generation, and it was passed down since the time of Dionysius, and it was passed down with his name. And it was only set down on paper, perhaps in the 7th century, or the 6th century, I should say. Um, uh, we just don't know. Uh, so so often uh, the uh, that writing is just attributed to Dionysius or Dennis, because that's the English version of that name, uh, and, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 that's that. Is it possible that some of the later writers actually drew on information that was handed down from him, and and that's why they would have given him the the accreditation? Yeah, that's quite possible. You know, that's quite possible, and and we do see kind of a consistency in the teaching on angels as it's as it's passed from generation to from one generation to the next in in the time of the church fathers so it's quite possible that he was uh kind of the source of that tradition uh that he was the one who was the the, the classical author on uh, or the classical teacher on the the doctrine of the angels and it just did not get set down um uh, for for many centuries um there were many things like that that uh that did not get set down on paper and they were passed on as saint basil the great said in a mystery all right mm-hmm. they were not intended to be published on paper they were intended to be passed down in a mystery i see the stories of the angels uh involved in the in the christmas story the the angels that spoke to mary and and uh joseph especially in the gospels of uh gospel of luke for instance those accounts uh, a lot of people have speculated that those accounts were handed down from mary herself to luke directly do you do you uh find that Absolutely, because um, because I don't see any other way we could have acquired that information. Mary was the one who was there, and she was the one um, who had contact, we know, with St. John the Apostle. Uh, we know that our Lord 
our Lord, um, uh, you know, said said uh, said to Saint John, "Behold your mother," and and said mm-hmm. to um, said to Mary, "Behold your son." Uh, so he gave them to uh, to to each other at the at the as they stood at the foot of the cross, and uh, and John received her into his home from that day. So we know that John had access um, to to Mary's memories. And he could have passed those along. We also know that St. Luke visited the city of Ephesus. Uh, in, in, it's currently in Turkey. Back then it was considered a mm-hmm. Greek city. Um, uh, and and uh, we, <clears throat> Luke visited Ephesus. Um, and at, it seems at the same time John was living there. And if John was living there and Mary was still alive, she would have been in his household. So it seems to me quite likely that Luke also had access to Mary, was able to interview her, was able to mm-hmm. gather information from her memories because he tells us twice that she stored all these things, she pondered these things in her heart. He tells that he tells us that twice and he must be referring to something that was certain knowledge to him. Mhm. And you know, talking about pondering things in her heart, it just uh it really surprises me the way that people downplay two of the very extraordinary things that that occur in the exchange between Mary and Gabriel. First of all, the 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 greeting, Kere K Keratomene, was not mm-hmm. Hi Mary, how are you doing today? It was a little bit more than that. Um yeah. so so comment on that and then I'll and then I'll bring up the other thing. Well, the angel is actually revealing a name. It's 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 like a second name for Mary. It's um it's it's a word that has n- that had never before appeared in any Greek literature of any kind. Certainly, never appeared in any in any um of the literature of of Israel. And it means it means full of grace. But it it seems to carry deeper resonances that she was she was um she was out without stain you know if you're full of grace that means that there's no sin in you because sin is the only obstacle uh that there is to grace so in order for her to be full she needed to be sinless and right. uh, and that's what the angel is referring to there's an act of revelation that's going on there god is closing something to us in that moment that we could not have discovered on our own because only right. God would know the status of someone's soul, and um, and 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 God is revealing that through the angel's simple greeting. And then the other thing is that the the first part, Kerry, is uh, this: the angel is saluting Mary with a salutation of royalty. He's he's right. recognizing her as his queen. That's right. We still we still. Um, refer to Mary as queen of angels and and we can see here uh that the that the archangel Gabriel is treating her with deference with respect the kind of respect that um that that a knight would give to his queen uh you don't always see that okay sometimes the angels uh it will will be dealing with the prophets and they'll kind of rough them up you know they need to scare them you know, the prophet Ezekiel was really frightened by what he saw mm-hmm. in his angelic visions, and so was Daniel. And as I mentioned before, so was Isaiah. Uh, if we look, go to the book of Revelation, St. John was was so awestruck, he was so dumbstruck that he fell to the ground before the angel, as if to worship mm-hmm. the angel. 
Um, so these are mighty beings, and yet here the angel is. As mighty as he is, he's deferring to Mary and acknowledging her greatness, even her greatness relative to him. Right. And uh, uh, to your point, the, that very same angel was uh, far more stern with uh, Zechariah. Um, That's so right. This, this is another point of contention. Um, so make the distinction, Mike, between Zechariah's um, ignorance, so to speak, was uh, really a lack of faith, whereas Mary was her confusion was, how could this be, since I know not man? This is proof that she had never intended to consummate her marriage with, with Joseph because mm-hmm. she's perplexed with how she, how is she going to become a mother because at this point the angel had not told her how this was going to occur. So she's trying to inquire and understand Whereas Zechariah's, it's it's stronger than that. He's he's just not believing, so that's yeah. why the angel punished him and did not punish Mary. Correct. In Mary's case, we see intelligent obedience. Um, she accepts what the angel is saying, but she wants to understand it. How can this be? Right. It's not that she doesn't know how babies are made. You know, this was an agrarian culture, so she lived uh, she lived around. Uh, barnyard animals all the time she knew how babies were made everybody knew how babies were made Uh, but she also knew that that was not to be part of her life Uh, it seems likely that um, Nazareth where Joseph and Mary grew up uh, was a village that was influenced by the Essenes um, a a sect of Jews who lived at that time and and um, and observed celibacy among their members uh, mm-hmm. there's there's evidence that that farming was done in Nazareth according to Essene methods uh we um we also find other hints of Essene influence in the New Testament uh it it's quite likely that Mary and Joseph uh were had had determined to um to take this this vow of celibacy at that time it seems it seems clear from what she says there because otherwise she would know how it was to come about the way babies are always made, right? Um, so Mary was questioning because she wanted to understand. And if you see this angel before you, you know that the angel has knowledge that he can share. And she wanted to understand, so she asked a question. What we find in the case of Zechariah was doubt. Mm-hmm. You know, He just was rejecting the idea that this was possible. Uh, it, it's it's uh, it's it's a difference in attitude. It's a difference in tone. It's a difference in disposition toward the revelation that the angel is bringing. Zechariah is 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 having trouble with his faith at that point because he just doesn't see how this can be possible, and yet he knows the stories of the Old Testament of all the improbable pregnancies that took place. Uh, in uh, among the patriarchs and 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 so on, you know he knows the story of Abraham and Sarah. He knows the story of Samson. Uh, so he uh, he he knows that these things have taken place in history. He just can't bring himself to believe that it's happening in this instance. Or maybe this shows a general lack of faith he has in in the stories of his own of his own religious tradition. Um, but but in any event, there is a great difference between. 
between um, the way Mary responded to the angel and the way Zechariah did, even though yeah. uh, on paper it looks kind of similar. Uh, but but there's a great difference, and we can tell that by the angel's response, by the angel's reaction, because he disciplines Zechariah rather severely, and yet we don't find any of that kind of language when he deals with Mary. And it, and it really is astounding, Mike, when you when you really think about it, because this was a time when a person, a, a woman caught in adultery was stoned. Yes. And her only defense before the Sanhedrin was, okay, I'm pregnant, still a virgin, and oh, by the way, my child is God. <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's going to go over a, right. Yeah, that's going to go over real good with the Sanhedrin, and yet she just let it be done to me according to your word. That's an extraordinary right. amount of faith. It is. It is. And uh, I guess this is why we uh, this is why we hold Mary in such in such high esteem. So let me ask you a little little oddball question. That's more from personal experience than really theology. Well, I guess it's a theological question, but it's a question that I've been confronted with countless times. Uh, in my life, um, terrible things that happen to people mm-hmm. that that just are not their fault. And I'm talking about some of these some of these awful things, like you know, school shootings, things like that. Yeah. Um, people people throw the question at me. People who have doubts or don't have faith will throw the question at me. Well, you know, where was their archangel? Where was their guardian angel? Why why didn't their guardian angel protect them, I don't really know how to confront a question like that. Well, it's a hard thing, uh, be, you know, and I faced it when I was very young. When I was in third grade, my best friend um, was was struck by a car and killed, and uh, yeah. and that's that that's I'm the so thing that plagued me. Where where is God in this? Where you know where was his guardian angel? Is this some kind of angelic malfunction here? Will the angel be called to task for this? But the truth is, this is a hard truth, that the angel's job isn't essentially to, to, to save us from sorrow and suffering and, and death. We're all going to die, even though we all have guardian angels. And we're all going to suffer in this life, even though we all have guardian angels. The angel's job is to get us to heaven through suffering. The angel's job is to get us through sorrow to glory because we're all going to die. We're all going to suffer a lot on our way there. The angel wants us to get to heaven at the end of that. And, um, and, 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 and that's the hard truth, you know, that, that our, God himself became flesh and was subject to all of the terrible things that we might be subject to, was subject to ostracism was subject to torture, was subject to murder, uh, executed, you know, kicked out of the family, mocked by people, spat upon, made a laughingstock, all of these things. He suffered because he wanted to share our lot and he wanted to show us how, how, to, how, to, how to grow through this. Um, it says in the, book, in the letter to the Hebrews that even Jesus learned obedience through suffering so even jesus grew Mm -hmm. through his suffering that's a great mystery 
because Jesus is God. You know, how could he learn through suffering? And yet there mm-hmm. it is in sacred scripture. Um, so yes, the angels will often come through for us. My angel is really good at finding parking spaces for me. Right? <laughs> you know, I'm driving in, in the city. I live near, near the city of Pittsburgh, and parking spaces are hard to come by. My angel will usually come through for me and get me a parking space, even when there's, there seem to be none around. All of a sudden, I'll come upon a, a place where somebody's pulling out. But um, but again, that's not the angel's job. The angels, like God himself, will sometimes give us what we want so that we'll learn to trust him for what we need. So yeah. he'll give us what we want so that we'll get in the habit of going to him and saying, help me, help me, help me, through these little things, until we're facing a big problem, the way Isaiah was, when God calls him to do this important thing, and he knows he's not up to the task. So he calls out, he calls out for help, and God sends an angel to help him and give him exactly what he needs. Um, what, we, what we need, in some cases, is not to be saved from death, because we're all going to die. You know, that's the portal that we, we need to go through to get to heaven. Um, so at some point, the angel just has to let us go through. And, uh, and, and, and so the angel is not responsible for our suffering, is not responsible for our death, but it's all in God's providence. God knows what we can bear. And God gives us these angels to help us to grow through sorrow to glory. Right. You know, it's it's so interesting what you what you said about someone uh, who's really tried to make it their mission to learn their Catholic faith and to go deeper and deeper in their Catholic faith mysteries, and it's it's just so incomprehensible that God Himself on the cross could cry out to God that He's forsaken by God. <laughs> It's, it's it's so mind-boggling. It's so beyond our ability to to apprehend that. But then I've read what a lot of the great Christian writers, like Saint John of the Cross, have written about that about that mystery. And it's just we can't even begin to fathom the depth of God and the love that Jesus has for us. We we can't even touch the surface of it. So I, I know you. And so I do understand where you're going when you say that it's not the angel's job to protect us necessarily from physical death. How do the angels, if we if we ask our angels for assistance, how do they assist us from falling into spiritual death, from falling into mortal sin? How do they help us combat our enemies in that way? Well, going back to that story of of the prophet Isaiah, we can see that the angel is ministering to Isaiah in some spiritual way. Uh, He's taking a coal from the heavenly altar, a burning coal, and applying it to Isaiah's mouth. (laughs) Now, we have to to believe that he's not actually burning Isaiah. He's ministering graces to him. He's communicating graces from God. In that moment, he's giving Isaiah something that he needs, a spiritual strength to go forward. It's something that he lacks at the beginning of the story and that he gains through this action, 
in the course of the story. So we have to believe that there are ways that they minister to us uh, that we don't really understand. Uh, I would assume that these, in the most basic sense, involve promptings. You know, look this way, don't look that way. Trying to keep us out of harm's way, trying to keep us away from temptation, trying to keep us away from the near occasions of sin. That they do this through through simple promptings. And if we if we cultivate the traditional devotion to the angels, what we're cultivating is an attentiveness to the angels. We kind of tune into their wavelength, so to speak. We get the habit of calling out for them and for listening to them and for following their promptings. There's a great story about um about the gentleman who was the last one out of the South Tower of the World Trade Center on 9-11 in the year 2001, and how he suddenly found himself... Uh, being prompted by a voice to do things that seemed counterintuitive. The angel told him, do not go down that hallway. You know, it, he, and the man himself said he believed it was his guardian angel. There's no other way to explain what happened. But the angel prompted him not to go down a hallway where the air was relatively clear, but to go down the stairway that was filled with smoke. Now, that seems counterintuitive, but the angel told him to do it. And so, and he told him it in no uncertain terms and in kind of a harsh voice, like, this is important. And so the man did, and he ended up being the last one out of the tower. All of the people who went what seemed to be the safe way, the right way, all perished in the conflagration that day. Um, but but this man has a devotion to the to the guardian angel, you know, and he's he learned in that hard moment that it's it's important to be attentive to the guardian angel. And I think that's what we're all trying to learn, um, you know, through, through the devotions that we practice. We're, we're trying to, to tune into the angels the way Abraham did and the way, the way, um, the, the way, uh, the way the other patriarchs did Jacob, especially, and, um, and, and Moses and the prophets and Jesus and St. Peter, as we've seen, and St. John in the New Testament. All of these great figures from biblical history were tuned into the angels in some way. And when we see the Dead Sea Scrolls and when we read the works of other, other Jewish theologians like Philo of Alexandria, we, we know that there was a certain devotion to the angels in, in the religion of Jesus' time and place. And this devotion was cultivated in the Jewish liturgy. So our own liturgy cultivates a devotion in the angels. When we go to Mass and we say the Confidior, we acknowledge that we're in the presence of all the angels and saints. All the angels and saints are there with us when we go to Mass. And we're acknowledging that they are witnesses to, to what we are doing there. At several other places in the Mass, we sing the songs of the angels, like the Gloria, which we learn from the angels, we human beings learn that from the angels, uh, with the shepherds at that first at the first Christmas, the day Jesus was born. We sing the Holy, 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 which we find in the book of the prophet Isaiah and also in the book of Revelation. These are the songs that 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 have been revealed to us by the angels uh, in their their ministry to us. So we repeat these songs, and again, that's that's establishing a common bond between us and our angels. Uh, it's making us attentive to them. It's making it's reminding us of their constants, whether we're going about our work or whether we're going about our worship. The angels are always with us, and the devotions of the church 
the devotions even of um of the the Jews before the 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 time of the church um help us to to understand how that happens and and to <laughs> cultivate the uh the right habits in us that's a, that's amazing you know going back to um the story you you uh told about 911 i i wasn't um familiar with that story but i am familiar with another story from uh 911 uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the name Diora Bodley. Are you familiar with that name? I'm not, no. She was the youngest passenger on Flight 93, the the plane that went down in Pennsylvania that the passengers fought so so bravely to try to take that plane back. She wrote in her diary, one of the last, if not the last passages she wrote in her diary was that she was going to die on a plane in a field. Mm. Um, mm. You, you talk to people that don't believe in the supernatural, that don't believe that there's anything outside of the visible that we see, how could she possibly have known that? Unless it yeah. was revealed to her by an angel or, or, mm-hmm. or higher. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Right. Yeah. It, it seems to me that there is there is abundant evidence. You don't. Uh, it, it's funny. There, there, a really good book came out a, a few years ago. Uh, it was called The Third Man Factor, and it described uh, the experiences of people who were in extreme circumstances. Uh, they doing you know they're polar explorers, underwater explorers, deep sea divers, uh, mountain climbers in the Himalayas, people doing extreme things, and it t- tells it, it says that there's this common factor if you read their diaries and if you talk to them about about their their exploits, there's a common theme that runs through them that that at some point when they faced some great danger, they they came to recognize that there was someone standing next to them. There was someone who was going through the ordeal with them and helping them. And sometimes the help came in very tangible ways, like uh, a, a great weight was lifted from, from them when they were in danger. Um, so there, there are all kinds of anecdotes like this in the, in the book. And yet the author himself uh, does not call these presences angels. Right. He just acknowledges that something happened, something happened and often happens in these cases of extreme danger. Um, I think I think the simplest explanation is that what God has revealed to us through sacred scripture is just part of the fabric of reality. It's part of the structure of creation. Jesus was right when he said that each of us has a guardian angel. And sometimes these angels uh, are given to know that that this person needs to spend a little bit more time on earth and needs to be taken through this particular danger. And, uh, and so people come to experience uh, the work of the guardian angels in those moments. So it's, um, it, it's, uh, it's, it's a fascinating thing. And as you said, um, sometimes people see it and they see, they see the evidence, but they, they cannot bring themselves to, um, to ch- chalk it up to anything spiritual or supernatural. It's a it's a, a strange phenomenon of our time, I think. Yeah, I want to give a shout out to Rizal, who is listening to us and uh, is in the in the chat room. So hi, Rizal. Hope you're doing well. 
So going back to uh, what you just said, uh, because I think it's a very important point, I think part of that, at least an element of that, Mike, is what's mm-hmm. happened to our psychiatric profession. Where yeah. we've, tried, we've tried to reduce human beings down to just physical and chemical and biological processes. And mm-hmm. we've, we've lost the, 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 you know, our, our network is called the four persons. I, I, I hope you, you, you caught that. And it's based yeah. on Mark chapter 12, verse 30, that you, you shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart, your whole mind, your whole soul, and your whole strength. That's who the four persons are. Okay. But we've lost the sense of that person and that soul person to a large extent, hmm. haven't we? And is that a contributing factor to what's happened in in our society uh, declining somewhat? Well, I think so. Uh, you know, psychology was a branch of philosophy. You know, it was about it was about reasoning. It was about it was about the sickness the sicknesses of the soul, and uh, and now uh, we we um, we don't talk about the soul. Uh, because the soul itself cannot be cannot be seen it can be cannot be measured it, it it has no material presence whatsoever and so we either deny its existence or we say it may exist but i can't know anything about it and yet so many of these things have been revealed to us in sacred scripture um precisely because god has 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 mercy on us in that way that he knows that we can't come to such knowledge without his help, without his revelation. And so he, he, he reveals these, these basic truths that we, that we need um, to, uh, to, to function, really. Mm-hmm. So um, we have lost that sense, I think, in, um, in, uh, in, in, in not only psychology and psychiatry, but also in medicine in general. You know, we forget why yeah. we're doing the things that we're doing. Um, you know, what is the aim of medicine? And uh, and so now we have we have medical doctors who are who are um, you know advertising that they will they will mutilate you for a fee they will make you something that you're not and they don't have the power to do that um, right so yeah so we, we we have we have arrived at a very strange place I think that uh, that um, that that we we got here by by um, Disavowing uh, God's rev- revelation by um, by uh, by 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 trying to trying to make everything on our own, you know. When we when we see the uh, the the prophets in the Old Testament, when we see um, when we see the the figures of the New Testament, you know, they call out to their angel for help. Well, no, we don't want to do that. We want to go on just the feeble senses that we have, and uh, and 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 leave it at that. And uh, it seems that we've lost a lot of the wisdom that these professions had gained down through the ages. You know, I see a similar problem within the realm of religion itself, within the realm of Christianity and some segments of Christianity. This is one of the most perplexing things that I've run into when I get into when I get into politics with some of the more, um, I don't know, fundamentalist bent. Mm-hmm. I, I find it very perplexing that they, they will say that if you're tempted by the devil, that you should shout out, get behind me, Satan. Okay, I, I'll, I'll buy that. But we shouldn't be talking to our angels. <laughs> I, can't, I can't follow that. We should talk to the bad angels, but we shouldn't be talking yeah. to the good angels. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I, I think that there's um, uh, there's a, a certain overemphasis on the transcendence of God, um, uh, you know, so, so that so that it's everything comes down to God alone and the individual. Um, but God Himself never does by do, never does by Himself what He could do with other with, with others. Right. So He's made us to live in community. He said it's not good for us to be alone. So He's made this vast community, this vast society for us to live in, and it's. It's not only the people who live on my block. It's not only the people who go to my church, but it's all the angels and saints. We're all part of this great community, this great communion yeah. of the holy ones, the communion of saints. And he's, he's made us to live in society so that we'll serve the needs of one another. We'll be like him who came not to be served, but to serve. He wants us to live this, this life of, of service to others in imitation of him. And, uh, and that's why he, he, he has us living in society. So yes, I will call out to my wife when I need help. I will call out to my children when I need help. You know, I'll call out to others, my friends, when I need help. And I'll call yeah. out to the saints and the angels when I need help because God has given them to me. God has placed them in my life, and he's taught me how to do this. If you look right. in, in, um, in the later chapters of the Epistle to the Hebrews, chapters 11, 12, 13, those later chapters show this kind of union of heaven and earth. They show us that the saints who have gone before and have been perfected, right, who are living in the presence of God, have a deep awareness of, um, of what's going on uh, on earth, right? Yeah. And it says a that cloud there's a great witnesses. cloud of witnesses. Cloud yeah. of witnesses. So they are and, very much aware of us and they're cheering us on. And we and, see the and same Mike, thing in the I book of Revelation. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say we're tracking together here. Our minds are yeah. tracking yeah. the same. Um, because I was just going to say I don't see much God alone in the first eight chapters of the book of Revelation. I feel That's right. a whole lot of I feel a whole lot of thrones and I see a whole lot of things going on in front of the thrones, and they confront us with this question of, well, why does God need the saints? Why does God need the angels? Well, it's, he doesn't. Not a question, it's not a question of what God needs. It's a question of what God ordains, and that's what we right. must uh, follow. So, Mike, and what before, he wants you for go, us. Yeah, before you go, I'd really like you to uh, give a plug for uh, you know some of your stuff, some of your books, some of your uh, online materials, and where people can find them, because I really like your work. I've been a fan of yours for, for quite some time. So if you would, put it, put it all out there. Well, you're very kind. Uh, thank you. Most of my work is, uh, is focused on the church fathers, the great teachers of early Christianity, the ones who lived, and re lived in the first century and beyond, and uh, some of whom received the faith directly from the apostles. Um, so the church fathers have been my focus through um, – through, through most of my career. I've also written a few books on the angels as well, as you know. Um, uh, I, altogether, I, I've written more than 70 books, so I'm not going to go through them wow. one by one. But you can find them all at catholicbooksdirect.com, catholicbooksdirect.com. Uh, if you just search on my name, Mike Aquilina, you'll find a page devoted to my books. And uh, and so, so you know, people, people can do that. Uh, they can also find me at you know, on Wikipedia and that kind of thing and on social media. Um, uh, so, so my works are out there. They're available. Search my name on YouTube. You'll get an awful lot of video and some audio too.
CatholicBooksDirect.com. We'll put that in the in the show notes. Mike, thank I want to thank you so much. I'm very honored that you came on to be on our on our humble little apostolate that we're trying to we're trying to get big. <laughs> it's uh, well, thank you for what it, you're doing. I appreciate it. Would you would you give us the honor of uh, ending us with the closing prayer, please? I would. I'd, I'd, I'd be happy to. Please join me in, in going to Our Lady with the prayer that we've we received from Sacred Scripture, and, and we've been we've been praying down the years. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Mike. And uh, again, the link is CatholicBooksDirect.com. We're going to put it in the show notes so that you can remember to go there. And uh, Mike Aquilina, thank you so much for coming on. And I hope we'll have you on again sometime. Thanks again for having me. God bless. Take care. Bye-bye.